0: This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank.
1: Hello, this is Tim Saunders, CFO of Canopy Growth Corporation, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast.
0: This is episode 460.
1: And there was a deal we'd been working on for a long time, and we were a day or two away from closing, and it just, the models weren't working right. Um, And I felt like we were going to take a lot of business risk. And so we were in this big meeting of our executive team, and I was one of the newer and younger members on the executive team, and we had to go around and say what we thought. And I prepared an analysis of what I thought a lot of the risks were, and if the risk turned out to be real, what that was going to mean to the base company. And it was the first time I really spoke my mind strongly about why I didn't think we should do something. And we didn't end up doing that deal. And so I think for me, that was the first moment where I really went out on a limb, per se. And we were very happy we didn't do that transaction.
0: From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. On today's show, we speak to Chris Menard, CFO of BlueSnap, a fast-growing payment processing platform. Chris illuminates for us the vibrant ecosystem that is helping BlueSnap enjoy rapid growth. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does your need to adapt, your need to evolve, your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at workday.com.
2: Hello, we're speaking to Christopher Menard, CFO of Blue Snap. Chris, welcome. Hey Dr. Very well, thank you. As always, Chris, we'd like to begin asking our guests to look backwards for us. And uh, share with us some of those experiences they believe helped prepare them for a CFO role. What comes to mind for you? So, a lot of the experiences that prepared me for the role I'm in today actually happened when I was at Face
1: Forward. So, I spent almost nine years at Face Forward. I was there from 2001 till 2010. And during that period, we did an IPO, we did a secondary, we did six acquisitions, and then we did a stock buyback. And we were eventually brought by Oracle in 2010. So when I arrived, I was a director of finance and worked my way up to be a public company CFO for the last couple of years that company was around.
2: Wow, amazing. And, and talk about growth. Can you give us some perspective? How big was the company when you arrived versus when you, you, you go to your next? CFO role. Well, you go to a CFO role, yeah, next year. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think the year I arrived in 2001, we did about $35 million
1: in revenue with a couple hundred employees. And in the year uh, of the exit, we were over a 1,000 employees and about a $250 million run rate.
2: Before that, uh, you also, you were in a finance function. Where were you before face Forward? Yeah, I worked for a company called ClinSoft. I went there basically right after the undergraduate
1: um, I went to Baxton College here locally, and we were acquired by Face in 2001. So I spent about five years at ClinSoft before joining Face Wow!
2: So it was a direct line for that first part of your career. It was pretty yeah. pretty clear the yeah. path uh, you were you were headed down. uh, Boston, uh entrepreneurial uh, comes to mind. Uh, is that uh, your bend? Would you say, or how would you uh, describe yeah. your, your Baxton?
1: When you go to Babson, you definitely study entrepreneurship. Um, I'm still very involved with the college today, but even back then, you had to take part in a student-run business as a freshman. And those traditions haven't changed. Um, I consider myself more operational finance. So if you think about the different paths and how people get to the CFO position, I kind of think that there are three. You have the people who grow up on the accounting side, become controllers and kind of graduate out. You have the people who go into investment banking, Learn an industry or two very well, learn about fundraising, and then come back into a more regular company. And then you have people like myself who grow up in financial planning and analysis, learn some accounting along the way, and then work their way to the CFO job.
2: I love the I love the three paths. We of course are always talking about two, but I I think you make a, a very strong case for there being three. What would you tell us about when you finally uh, leave? Uh, Phase Forward, and I should ask, uh, some might not be familiar, all of which uh, the type of software offering Phase Forward was. What was that exactly? Yeah, so we helped to automate the clinical trial process.
1: So if you went back to the early days of clinical trials, and you're in the clinical trial, and you go to the doctor's office, they would manually fill out a form on paper, and they would send that form into the drug sponsor, an Eli Lilly or Pfizer, one of those big guys. And that form would be manually keyed into a database, which was either QuinSoft's database, which was the first company I worked at, or probably Oracle Clinical. The two of those guys held most of the market share. Salesforce was the first company to automate it so that the forms were filled out in real time in the doctor's office on a standard laptop, but still complied with all the regulations of big pharma. And then over time, we built out a suite of software products for the pharmaceutical companies and CROs, which really helped to expand our footprint.
2: Was it fairly obvious you would someday it would someday be acquired by Oracle, or was there a chapter where there was some uncertainty? <laughs>
1: um, I think every company gets to a point where you're either going to become a behemoth like an Oracle or an IBM, or you're probably going to be at least considered for acquisition. I think we made a lot of strategic choices while we were at Phase Forward to make ourselves attractive to a select number of companies, one of which was definitely Oracle. Um, We competed with them head-to-head, so we knew their product offering very well. We knew their touch points in terms of pricing very well. We also ran on their technology stack, so we ran on Oracle databases. So when we were acquired, we were an easy transition for them because we were running a lot of their internal products. It's not like we were built on SQL Server and they had to port the back end to Oracle. Um, So we did a lot of little things like that to make sure when the time came that we were attractive to them.
2: When you you leave Face Forward, you join a company called Brightco. as the CFO, is that right? Yep, the CFO. Tell us something, what I'm sure there were a number of opportunities you might have been evaluating. What made Bright Cove attractive
1: to you? Yeah, so I obviously come from a public company. FaceFarred went public in two thousand and four. So at that point I was in a public setting for just over six years. And I wanted to go back to something that if it wasn't public I felt could get into the public realm. And so Bright Curve I joined in late two thousand and ten and we went public in early, early 2012, and so what I liked about the opportunity was getting it ready to go public, Um, knowing that it was never a guarantee, but the technology was fantastic. It had great investors. Bankers were already talking to the company, and so for my first year, it was really getting us ready to become a public company, and because of my background being in a public environment for the six years prior to that, I just felt like it was a place I could be successful
2: Okay. Well, we'll uh, maybe revisit some of your your career during our mentoring round, but uh, we want to find out about BlueSnap. And uh, we'll begin by just asking you, uh, what are BlueSnaps offering? What what type of company is this today? Yeah. So BlueSnap is a payment facilitator.
1: We are geared at the middle market, and we give the middle market um, customers when they're doing. When they're reaching out to their merchants on e-commerce, think regular mobile or web, um, a shopping experience. So what we try to do is for the mid-market, give them an Amazon-like checkout and experience for their clients. And we do that in a couple of different ways. If you think about customers or merchants today that are trying to sell cross-border, you have to worry about a lot of different things, right? You have to worry about currency. So say I'm a U.S. company and I'm trying to sell into Canada. When I go to checkout, Is it in U.S. dollars and the Canadian customer isn't exactly sure how much it's going to cost? Or will that shopping experience show up in their local currency of Canadian dollars? Um, Can I have all the wallets? Can I have Apple Pay and Google Pay and everything else that's out there? And to make that work up until recently, that's really, really hard. And so what companies do is they have to code to a lot of different payment firms and a lot of different gateways which means they can kind of put the puzzle together and maybe they get 50 or 75% of what they want, but it's hard to get all of what they want. But what that means is they're receiving funds from a lot of different companies, and so reconciliation and flow of funds becomes a big nuisance. What BlueSnap does, because we have relationships with over 20 banks and we are very global, and our technology stack is fantastic and we can handle all the wallets and other alternative payments, We can give customers an Amazon-like shopping experience or the merchants provide that shopping experience to their merchants. We're the single software provider, one customer support center. It's one application for the merchant. We just make it all very easy. And so right now we're attacking the middle market because we feel there's a big void there, and 2018 has been a fantastic year.
2: Can you uh, give us a sense of uh, how BlueSnap has grown in in the short time you've been there?
1: yeah our business is doubling the share
2: that's growth that's certainly growth. <laughs> all right so so tell us about your arrival there and uh again, over time, you've had a, a number of c f o roles by the time you arrive at Bluesnap, and you have some sense of really what you want to sink your teeth into what is it that's exciting about the c f o role today i guess what it, and usually I ask here what's your your vision for this role but share with us <laughs> one one or all those uh those questions, what were you thinking? Well, I came
1: from another payments company. So I came from a company called Cayenne that was purchased by Thesis in January of 2018 for a little more than a billion dollars. And so I knew about payments, but it wasn't exactly what BlueSnap does. So when I was at Cayenne, we focused on card present, which means you're in a retail or restaurant environment and you're swiping your credit card and we would make that payment go through with a lot of software platform in the background. That's very different than BlueSnap because BlueSnap is online e-commerce, so it's card not present. So when I got here, the first thing was really to learn the other half of the payment space and make sure I understood not just the business model because it is a little bit different, but just the way the systems work, the way the flow of funds work because the accounting is very different than where I had come from. And that was definitely the first 30 to 90 days just kind of drinking out of that fire was trying to get all that straightened out at least from an understanding perspective. And then as I think about what we're trying to do and move forward with, because my background is on the FP&A side, it's really how do we lead with analytics. So we're spending a lot of time on incremental reporting KPIs, dashboards. So we're looking at things more in real time and looking at more leading indicators to make sure we understand where the business is going as we move forward.
2: Um. You've done this a number of times now. You must have, I I would imagine it begins with a rather lean team in finance, and there are certain key types of professionals you look for, certain skill sets. Um, Can you share with us a little bit about, you know, as you join these organizations, how you build out your finance team? What are your initial priorities, and maybe what comes later? Who are the... You know, maybe there's a later edition when a company certain gets, gets a certain size, it's worthy of having more of these types of people. But now, lean and mean, what are those key roles you looked at, so?
1: Yeah, I think the first step when you come into a new company is you have to make sure all the table stakes stuff is working. And so the first thing I do is you evaluate the accounting team, right? Because that stuff, you just can't get that wrong. And so it's making sure that your controller and the staff immediately underneath them is competent, knows the rules and regs, can operate a tight close, well, can provide you the level of detail you need so that the finance side is going to work on the fp side. And I always do that part first and really get to know that team and some of what the struggles are. So you can have a pretty good accounting team with struggling because the systems don't make sense. Not everyone invests in systems early on. Um, I've been very lucky. BlueSnap made a lot of investments in systems in the early days, so we run a lot of the best-in-class providers. And then step two is to look at the finance team, which is usually your FP&A, your analyst team, and think about what they're working on today. Are people really looking at and using the analysis that's being prepared? Is there stuff we should pull back? And what kind of stuff do we want to add? And not just traditional financial analysis, but what are the other business metrics that we should be working on, whether that's lead flow, um, customer acquisition cost, system uptime, all those little things that make a business really tick, but they're numbers based and they're objective. So I think of the role of finance sometimes is you keep score, right, and you tell people what you think the outcome is going to be based on that score. So there's a concept of data and information, we try to teach the analyst team not to just send out data. Don't just send out a spreadsheet but a, put a cover letter and a perspective on top of it. That perspective may not always be 100% right because they're not the person running that department or business unit, but start that conversation about what the data means and where the data came from so we can make informed and educated decisions.
2: Uh, again, I think too often people are timid to uh, to give an analysis because they're afraid to, uh, to stick their necks out. But I, I I wonder, given the growth this company has expa- experienced, I have to believe cash is really what it's about right now. Cash is top of mind.
1: Yeah, we are. so we're very lucky. We're backed by two fantastic private equity partners. Um, Great Hill Partners and Parthenon Capital are both backers and share our board. And so from a day-to-day cash needs basis, I'm very lucky. I don't have to worry about that because the business is growing Um they put in more than ample funds for us to achieve our objectives from a budget perspective and our growth plans. So I'm in a very lucky seat. I know there are a lot of other CFOs who are watching the balance every day making sure they can make payroll. I'm lucky that we are very well
2: funded. But those types of relationships, uh, that's part of your world for a while, I'd imagine. It, it appears as though you're one of those CFOs, uh, it, you know, within the technology ranks who have a, a sort of robust ecosystem of private equity, advisors, other finance executives, and perhaps CEOs who are business builders, something like that? How would you characterize your, your world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm located in the Boston area, and so it's a pretty tight-knit community. Parton um, Capital, who was one of the backers of Blue Snap, was the backer of my last company, Cayenne. And so I knew a bunch of those guys when I was coming over. And so that was good because you get up to speed a little bit faster. Because um, in that feeling out process, at least for half of the board, you didn't have to go through all of that from scratch. You start up and learn the company. But that relationship is already in place, and that definitely helps. And you feel like you can be a little bit more candid when you know the people personally already about what you're seeing and what you're working on. Because that feeling out process in the first couple board meetings can be hard until the relationships are built
2: You mentioned metrics and data. We keep on hearing how finance leaders are exploring new ways to measure the business. Are you one of them, or no? Is it all pretty strictly what one would expect in your world?
1: No, I think there's some industry-specific things I look at that you wouldn't look for in, say, a traditional SaaS-based software company. But I think the metrics that we look at are pretty straightforward in the payments industry. I look at volume, I look at customer additions, I look at customer attrition. I spend a lot of time on some of the operational metrics that my team can, again, push out to the business faster. So when I think about my reporting cycle, I try to get all of my non-financial, like the metrics I can get out without actually closing the books out by the end of the third or fourth business day. So a big thing that we preach is how fast can we get information back out and into the business so we can start to make informed decisions. And then a week or so later when the books are closed, we push out the traditional financial close metrics. So we break up the close process from a reporting standpoint for the package that we can get out sooner versus the package that we can get out later on.
0: We'll be back with CFO Chris Menard after this. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com.
2: We're going to move on to uh, what we call our finance strategic moment question, Chris. This is where we ask you to look across the span of your career and identify a moment where there was some, maybe a risk or an opportunity that you're able to identify due to uh, your unique lines of sight into the organization.
1: Anything come to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, I think the aha
2: moment
1: for me um, was in, like, the first half of my career when I was at Face Forward. We were working on an M&A opportunity. Um, We were, at that point, a public company. We were looking at another public company. And we've been working on that transaction for a long time. And in any of those M&A transactions, if you work on them long enough, You kind of get some deal fatigue, like the process just keeps going, you keep working on it, and you start to run downhill. And you get to the point, especially when there are bankers and boards involved, that you feel like you just have to make it work and you have to get it to close. And there was a deal we'd been working on for a long time, and I wasn't CFO yet. Um, And we were a day or two away from closing, and it just, the models weren't working right. Um, And I felt like we were going to take a lot of business risk. And so we were in this big meeting of our executive team. And I was one of the newer and younger members on the executive team, and we had to go around and say what we thought. And I prepared an analysis of what I thought a lot of the risks were, and if the risk turned out to be real, what that was going to mean to the base company. You know, some of it was very analytical, and it was numbers-based, and some of it was just I had met a lot of the other companies' management team and employees as we have been going through diligence. And it was the first time I really spoke my mind strongly about why I didn't think we should do something. And we didn't end up doing that deal. And as we watched that company perform for the next couple of years, the numbers they gave to us in diligence, they weren't really close to it all. And so I think for me that was the first moment where I really went out on a limb per se and spoke out against a good number of my peers that there was something that we shouldn't do but backed it with the analytics um, to try to sell it and push it through. And we were very happy we didn't do that transaction.
2: Is that a, when you look back today, was that just strong due diligence? Was that, did you call it your gut instinct? What what was that? There was, I mean, there was a
1: lot of due diligence because we worked on that deal for a long time. But you start, you get that first diligence sheet and you're trying to figure out, every deal is a hockey stick when you look at the projections and what it could really be. But we had been through enough months where we'd watch the projections and see what really came in, and we under, we really learned how the models worked, like built our own models, understood the drivers. So we were trying to replicate what we thought would happen. And some of the leading indicators weren't playing out, so the financials weren't going to make sense if they kept on the projections that, or the actuals that were coming through. And so there's a little bit of a hunch in there because you never know if someone's going to turn around or if you're looking at it wrong. But a lot of it was attention to detail and the diligence that we did.
2: Great, great, great tale. Okay, um, we're gonna we're gonna leap to our mentoring round then, where we get to revisit some of your your chapters. Hopefully, um, we always like to begin sort of with an inspirational uh, tone, where I get to ask the question, "What's exciting you now about finance and business?" We know what was exciting you way back when. What's exciting you now? So well, I think exciting is two parts. I think there's some challenges going
1: on in the marketplace because the speed of the industry, especially in payments, is moving so fast. Um, More and more business is being done online than ever before. All of the different ways to pay because of the mobile wallets. Um, And so it's exciting to watch that evolution, which is a tremendous market opportunity for companies like BlueSnap, as well as some of the technical challenges with all these different ways to pay and trying to make it easier for consumers. So that's really interesting and that's exciting. But with the compliance side that's also going on right now, which is not the most exciting part of my job, um, there's so much going on with the new, re- the new revenue recognition guidelines and how that's affecting companies not only from an implementation standpoint but also how you understand your trends as you go back and you have to look at what prior years would have been underneath that same guidance. And even things that are definitely not sexy to talk about, but the way they're ruling and how that's changing the sales and use um, tax landscape in the U.S. But you have to comply with that and understand that rules are slightly different in all the states. Those are some of the challenges that while some of them are kind of painful, it is exciting to go through because it is a big challenge and you have to conquer it and move on. And you want to get through all of that without affecting the day-to-day operations of the business or making it a drag on the business as we continue to focus on sales.
2: Well, we're going we're to leap back to Pace to Forward again because it was there where you uh, obtained the title CFO for the first time. After climbing the ranks, you enter that CFO office for the first time. What is the piece of advice you wish someone had given you when you stepped into the office that day? What is that? If you had something to to offer yourself at that moment in time, what would it what would it be? Yeah. So I was lucky. I had
1: a great mentor, the CFO before me, um, really mentored me to be ready for that position. I was his only direct report for a year or two before I officially took the title or took the title. but the advice I would give someone else coming into the CFO spot, especially in a public environment, is be ready to be one of the top marketing people in the company and really be able to tell the story and who you compete with and describe your technology stack and the challenges and why you're great. Because until you sit through all the investor conferences and all the partnership meetings and the key vendors and key customers, you don't appreciate how much of this role is talking about the company as a whole and not necessarily the financial that you would think about as just the CFO angle of it. You really have to know all of the company, which you know because you're breathed and you're getting ready for the job, but it's being able to articulate all of those different areas to people who are interested in the company. And so that takes a little bit of time to get it polished and ready.
2: Is there a personal habit you believe has contributed to your professional success yeah, I think so. I think growing up
1: as an analyst, I think there's that attention to detail analyst side of me that definitely helps. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Like we had a board meeting a couple of weeks ago, and so we're flipping the slides, and I'm looking across the slides not just for do the slides make sense and no, are the numbers right, because that again, that's table six. but What's the story and how are we going to tell that story based on the slides? And a lot of that comes from being an analyst and having to sit in front of my boss, directors, and CFOs and really explain the numbers and what we were seeing. And it's the attention to detail for not just here's the spreadsheet, but what does the spreadsheet mean and how am I going to articulate that back. That I think is helping me a lot because you have to be able to articulate what the numbers mean to people who are not finance people. And so you have some managers in operational roles who are very good at the numbers and they just get it. And you have other managers where you have to take it down a couple levels and figure out how they can relate to it to help them run their business.
2: And that has definitely helped me move up the ladder. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders?
1: Yeah, so... I was told you were going to ask this, so I went to your website to see some of the stuff that was out there. And I know a lot of people have recommended Good to Great, which is a great book. And I probably would have talked about that one, but it was already up there. And Reinventing CFO is also another great book, but someone else before me already talked about it. So I'm going to go with Moneyball. Um, I actually read the book, didn't just watch the movie. And what I like about Moneyball is the concept that, Statistics don't always tell the whole story, and so you have to look at a lot of statistics to figure out if it makes sense. So the story does talk about a good portion of stories about baseball players and their stats. And so, for example, just hitting a lot of home runs doesn't mean you're going to be a great player if you strike out a lot or have a lot of errors in the field or whatever it is. And I think that's true in regular finance as well. You could have people get really, really excited because you signed a contract and it's going to be a ton of revenue, and maybe it is a great contract. But I always ask myself, right, well, what's the gross margin on that contract? Are we going to make any money, or is it just going to be a lot of pipeline revenue? And sometimes you might have a contract that looks like it's going to be a small revenue contributor, but maybe it's really high margin and you would take those all the time, even though they're not as sexy as a really big contract. And you can take that across a lot of different levels. You can look at things like customer acquisition costs and things like that, that you can relate back to the concepts in Moneyball, which is, It's not a single statistic that is going to prove that something is good or bad. You have to be more
2: well-rounded and look at the whole picture. We're up to our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader for BlueSan? Yeah,
1: so in the next 12 months for us, it's really about managing through this phase of explosive growth which is not just about hitting the 2019 operating plan. It's about how do we scale. I think as companies go through the level of growth that we're going through, you have some system challenges because you're growing so fast. We have hiring challenges because we're trying to staff up in a whole bunch of different areas. Um, So for me, it's not just about helping to make sure we make the budget. It's about helping to make sure we're growing responsibly. Um, And the stuff that we're doing is repetitive. And so I want to make sure that we're implementing the right system so everything is not manual and a one-off analysis. So it's really making sure the company
2: is ready for that growth and can continue that growth for a lot of years. Chris Menard, thank you for joining us.